0: You're right, guys. Welcome to Jesus Unfiltered, Durham CU's new podcast about how we make sense of Christianity in the modern world. I'm Joseph Knight, a third year studying history at Durham.
1: And I'm Judith Holmes, a second year theology student. In this podcast, we want to chat about 21st century issues in a Christian context, have a look at what the Bible has to say about them and join in with some important conversations. Today, we are joined by Chanae McDonald, author and head of media and PR at Christian Aid. She's here to chat to us about faith and racial injustice, discussing her own experiences of racism and answering the question of how the church should be responding to systemic racism.
2: Really, my point is, God is not a white man. but white men are also not gods.
1: Well, hi, Cheney Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're really grateful you're here. I'm really excited to hear what you're going to share with us. Um, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
2: Sure. Um, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm Chinnae MacDonald. I, in my day job, I am Head of Community Fundraising and Public Engagement at Christian Aid, which is an international development charity Um, uh, I'm also on the board of a few charities so Greenbelt Festival Christians Against Poverty and Christians in the Media and um, in my spare time I do a lot of kind of um, broadcasting on particularly on BBC Religion and Ethics so things like Thought for the Day on the Today programme, the daily service on Radio 4 Um, and I've just written my second book and my second book is called God is Not a White Man and it's out in May next year
0: yeah fab and um, that book sounds really really interesting and and obviously and um, that's the focus of today's episode um racial injustice um so kind of big question to kick off um obviously in the bible it talks about um god having no partiality and that as christians we believe that and and that all people are made equal But obviously, there are lots of people who have personal uh, experiences of racism. Racism in a Christian context, Um, uh, and we were wondering, you know, has that affected you? Uh, Have you had any personal experience? Um, Would you mind going into that?
2: Sure. I think, um, like you said, as Christians, we believe that God shows no partiality, and that's really easy to say. but actually in practice, in the kind of day-to-day of potentially how we do church, who our friends are, how we engage, what we think deep down about people who are different to us um, or are not um, part of the group that I think holds much of the power, not just within the church, but in the world as a whole. So I would say that, yes, God doesn't show um, partiality, but I think humans do. And we talk about this term, which is white supremacy, which some kind, some people get quite upset about and focus on the word. But really what it means is a preference for white people or white superiority. Um, So I think that unfortunately that plays itself out in lots of different ways um, in the church context. And for me, and a lot of people who think about racial injustice quite a lot, once you see things, you can't unsee them, and so you start to notice the ways in which um, whiteness is um, held as superior within our church spaces. So, if you think about simple things like if you grew up in the evangelical church, like I, like I do, um, like I did, um, you think about, um, particularly within evangelicalism within the UK and i would call those spaces particularly white majority evangelical churches rather than pentecostal churches Um, what kind of music do we play in church who is at the front and whether that is the church leader or uh, the worship band who are we hearing from not just in terms of from the front within our own churches but the theologians that quoted Um, in our sermons, the examples that are given um, that very much um, present a, I would say, middle-class, majority white um, viewpoint about how the world is. Um, So there's kind of little things like that that I think are quite subtle. Um, I, in terms of kind of personal experience, um, I was born in Nigeria and moved to the UK when I was four with my family, of course. Um, and we, uh, as a family of five Nigerians um, living in the home counties, so Kent, um, Hertfordshire, uh, and in and around London suburbs. When we would turn up at church, um, for my parents, they didn't necessarily think about whether they wanted to go to a black majority church or not. But we would often turn up at kind of white majority churches. And there was one particular time in a church in Hertfordshire, where we turned up for the first time, and the person greeting us on the door welcomed us and said, "Oh, why did you choose this church um, to come to rather than the, the black majority church down the road?" Uh, and I guess she didn't mean it to be kind of offensive, but it's interesting that she would ask that question because in her head, therefore, um, white people go to white churches and black people go to black churches. So yeah, lots of experience of those kinds of things. And
1: mm, thank you so much, for sharing that with us um would you say that um your personal experiences um of um racism within the church and also um that sort of lack of representation you were talking about would you say that has um affected either your faith or your view of the church and your experience within um church as you've
2: grown up So I'd say that my individual experiences haven't been that bad, to be honest. Um, No one's ever called me uh, a racist word in church. Um, I haven't felt um, deliberately othered. So a lot of um, the experiences that I have are microaggressions, so subtle little things that make me feel like I'm other. Um, However, um, when I think about let's say how I picture Jesus when I pray. I think of a white man who's got blue eyes and sandy blonde hair. He looks a bit like an American hippie from the 1970s. Um and that's not that wouldn't be problematic if that was what Jesus looked like. But obviously we know that Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew. He was a brown man. Um and I think it's interesting for me as a black woman in in thinking about in thinking about that, there is a there is a slight distance, therefore, between me and Jesus. Um, what does the incarnation mean for me when I view Jesus as a white man? So I remember a few years ago um, reading a book called "The Shack." um so spoiler alert if you don't want to find out the big spoiler so you might want to turn off now um but that book caused a lot of controversy um in america in particular when it came out because the story is about a man who encounters um a horrific tragedy um but then he meets god in in three forms um in the middle of a shack and god is represented as The Holy Spirit, who is an Asian woman, um, Jesus, who is a Middle Eastern man, and God, the Father, slash Papa, um, who is a curvy black woman from the southern states of America. Now, for me, um, that representation of God completely blew my mind. But I noticed the difference in how I viewed God when I could see myself a representation of god i remember having conversations with my mum about it because it we were just suddenly like wow this is um this is a representation of us in the divine now obviously i don't think that god is a black woman um but i also don't think that god is a white man um and part of the problem and the controversy about um the shack was that people described it as kind of political correctness gone mad as if obviously the truth is that god is a white man or jesus is a white man and any kind of departure from that is just political correctness so um i disagree there's lots of different cultures who represent um jesus in different ways um in which the incarnation becomes all the more beautiful because it really represents um christ coming to particular cultures at a particular time and the representation of, of him in that way but one of my main problems is that I as a Nigerian and lots of my family who still still live in Nigeria, when we picture Jesus, we picture a white man. When we picture a God, we picture a white man. And that is problematic for me.
0: Yeah. And, and, and obviously there's um, talk about kind of following on from that um, about how just the Bible in general um, has been, whitewashed by by western american culture um, and and obviously you, you said that that has a massive impact on you it's problematic for you because you're picturing you know um, this yeah white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes and and um you know what kind of in other places you know not just jesus like what other places is that whitewashing problematic
2: A few weeks ago, someone was speaking at my church and made a comment, which was um, God loves people of all colours. God loves black skin. Um, And to me, it sounded like a little bit patronising as if um, God's default is white skin, but he also loves um, people with black skin so when we look at the bible actually the truth that i want to kind of put forward and make people realize is that most of the people in the bible are brown (laughs) like from the beginning to the end um it's not that being brown or black is an ex was is an exception and a departure from what a friend of mine has described as the default human actually most of the regions um from which the people in the bible came from are kind of the middle east and africa and those kinds of places um so why is it that for some people that is surprising to hear um it's because of the whitewashing of christian culture um and christianity so we don't see um we don't see david or moses or jacob as brown people we see them as white people because of a pervasive and white supremacy across not just western cultures but but the whole world Um, i think there's also for me um, an added complication in that i am uh, an african immigrant and so for me ever since i was born actually my christianity has been intertwined with whiteness and colonialism so uh, my great-grandparents who lived in the southeast of Nigeria uh, my great-grandfather was an Anglican priest um, and uh, Europeans came to Nigeria you know centuries ago um, to convert people to Christianity so before that uh, Nigerians had their um, indigenous African religions and a lot of them converted to Christianity and I'm really thankful that they did because love being a christian and that's for me is the fundamental (laughs) fundamental um thing that drives me and it is uh, my my faith but unfortunately my faith has been intertwined with um, colonialist narratives so my great-grandparents they used to run a school for christian wives uh, where women would come to them before they were going to get married to learn what it meant to be a good christian wife and in effect what that meant was to learn how to bake cakes uh drink tea out of china cups uh use um doilies <laughs> things like that um so even from from you know years and years before i was born christianity was intertwined with englishness really um and whiteness and um, you see that perpetuated in lots of people's understandings of christianity as the white man's religion Um, and a lot of um, black women um, and younger black millennials are turning away from christianity because of that um, problematic intertwining with colonialism Um, there are lots of kind of examples of younger black women turning back towards african indigenous religions because they see in depictions of kind of goddesses or african deities themselves um and it's part of this whole kind of movement to to rid christianity or rid their faith of the kind of problematic aspects of colonial christianity
1: yeah um i guess we've talked a lot about um how um the racism that is within the church and the whitewashing we've seen of the bible um what Um, an effect that can have and how harmful and problematic that can be. Um, I guess if we're looking towards um, moving forward and creating hopefully a better, more equal future, what can the church be doing to show um, racial solidarity with the black community and to um, reconcile and apologize um, to those who've been harmed by such an injustice?
2: So first of all, I want to say that I'm so, I've been so encouraged over the past few months um, since the death of George Floyd to see church leaders who I never would have expected to talk about these issues, um, asking how they can help. I've seen lots of church leaders going on protests, um, opening up their platforms to um, black Christians to share their story, um, you know, putting out statements, all that stuff. I've never seen an outpouring of this sense of injustice on on issues of race like i have this year so that is amazing and i think that that is something of a move of god um, happening my concern is that the the momentum might die down and we might go back to um, nothing actually having changed just lots of conversations having been had um, but in terms of what i think the church can do i think continue to It's easy to say, kind of, have relationships, create relationships um, with Black Christians. But part of it is about just listening to what the Black experience is and has been within particularly white majority church contexts. Um, To listen without defensiveness, to listen without wanting to prove that you're not a racist um to listen and to recognize whether or not it is um you as an individual who has caused harm, but recognizing that that we as a collective, as the church um in the UK and further afield, have caused harm not just over the past few years or decades, but over centuries. And that there is a um a reckoning that's happening and tangible changes that need to happen in order to rectify that obviously we're not going to turn things around in a year but what are the real things that we can do to make change also to recognize that we need to be comfortable with discomfort this stuff is not easy Um, it's not easy for me to talk about to white people it's not easy for white people to hear so let's recognize that this is not very nice and it's not very comfortable um but that discomfort should spur us to action rather than um make us feel defensive or want to move backwards i think there are also some some real tangible things that can happen things that are practical like not going to the obvious theologians when when quoting people in our sermons um, doing that extra bit of work to find someone who is not a white man of a certain age or who has come from a Western European theological understanding of who God is um, including um, liberation theology that often comes from African theologians or South American um, theologians um, because I think liberation theology has something really powerful to say about um, God um, and who we are um, and what our focus should be as as the people of god and in bringing um about the kingdom here on earth, so I think that there are some practical things to do. There are also ways in which we need to um, make room, which means um relinquishing power in some spaces um I really hope that in the next years um that all white male leadership teams um, will be more diverse, um, so that that's uncomfortable, uh, and that means doing a bit of extra work, it means doing some hard stuff of identifying who um, in your congregations can can step up um, and being comfortable with the discomfort at that table as well.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, that's all really helpful and um, and really really eye opening um, as well um, obviously you you talked about um at the start about your your new book um which yeah you said it's coming out next year next may um and obviously i'm assuming you must have done lots of research for that have you got any like other revelations um uh, things that that um you've uh found you know in in writing that that you, you want to share with us
2: yeah, so my book is called "God is Not a White Man," and but really, there's actually just one chapter on depictions of God and Jesus as white, because really, my point is, God is not a white man, um, but white men are also not gods. <laughs> um, so it is a, a challenge um, to kind of a pervasive white supremacy, not just uh, in depictions of God, but in the church, in um, I talk about uh, interracial marriage. Uh, my husband is white. Um, uh, how white people can be allies through that. I talk a, a lot about um, white women and black women um, and the relationships there. Um, I talk about depictions of Africa or the kind of single story um, of how we present people. Um, and I talk about this this particular moment um, in history so i started to write my book last year um and i'm really glad that i was behind in writing it (laughs) before coronavirus happened because this year in particular um if i had started writing it i would have had to completely rewrite it because i myself have gone on such a journey of learning devouring books about black history um uh, which has completely changed my own view of not not just the world but of myself and my place in the world um so i didn't know you know i'm an educated person um, i never knew that there were black um people living in york in the fourth century um these kinds of um you know truths historical truths that have been hidden Um, or just not talked about. So when you, um, when I encounter kind of, um, I guess racist people on social media who might talk about, um, uh, let's say British history and Second World War as um, white people having fought, not realizing that there were lots of people from the West Indies and from Africa who fought for Britain as part of uh, the Commonwealth. Um, who played their part. I think often we think um, that black people only came to the UK in the 1960s in a Windrush, but black people have been here for centuries. Um, uh, Britain's role in slavery was no, not only to abolish it, <laughs> but played a major part in making it happen and sustaining it for over 400 years. Um, we need to think about our history um, as Britain and the place of black people um, since, you know, since for, for centuries. Um, I think as well, for me, in terms of revelations, um, I, as well as recognising that there have been black people in the UK for centuries, I have realised that I had consumed this idea of blackness was synonymous with slavery. Um, but actually just hearing about stories of um, black women warriors from africa who um from centuries ago who refused to bow the knee to caesar or slave rebellions on ships um black people didn't just kind of bow down and and take it um so what does that how does that um affect my own posture as a black person i think it has a a real profound impact on on me so yeah lots and lots of revelations in writing my own book i could go on and on and on but (laughs) i'll stop there
0: yeah, that's that's really super interesting. Um, I'm a history student, so like knowing that, you know, there's like uh, there's a side of history that hasn't been told, um, and and um and I think it's you know we you know me and Judith as as white people and as as, as the wider church, we're going to get things wrong, and I think it's important to have this discussion um, and know that yeah that that the, there are so many things that can be done to you know to um, to show that racial solidarity in both a Christian context but also you know a historical academic context it, yeah and I think that wave that uh, that we've seen over the summer has been I know, I know personally for me incredibly eye opening
2: Re- really interested really interested to know how it's affected you guys at uni um uh, as as young people but also as christians how's it played out for you
1: um i think there's been so many um conversations happening that um i think i've almost stood there and thought how has this never crossed my mind before how have i never noticed how few black people there are in these spaces I'm operating in daily, and having um, really eye-opening but also really heartbreaking conversations with friends I have who are black, who are saying, you know, it was the first thing I noticed when I arrived at Durham is that there weren't many other people who looked like me, and actually it had to take that being pointed out for me to even realise that that was an issue because it's not something that would necessarily, or yeah, it's not something that would actually be at the forefront of my mind, and I think actually realizing that um yeah like you were saying these conversations are really uncomfortable and they are really difficult but that's all the more reason to be having them and being able to look into the spaces that we are operating in daily so within our churches but also within our lectures and our friendship groups and um actually having to like ask those difficult questions to ourselves and to our friends and um you know uncomfortable conversations where realizing that actually there are um jokes or things that you can't let slide that actually and actually it's not um it's not a black person's role to be calling out something that is so um you know personal to them and actually as an ally and as a white person um it is you know my responsibility to be on stepping in and saying let's not say this let's not do this but I think um there have just been like so many conversations and questions and issues that I just hadn't until until this summer I hadn't realized how huge initially were and how huge initially were in the spaces I was operating. in. I think I knew, I knew racism was still a huge issue. It's very easy to look across the pond and look at America and go, look how badly they're doing. And actually, but to look right into like our spaces, our colleges, our corridors, our friendship groups and say, okay, but what's happening here has been a real challenge, but there have been, um, yeah you know, really good conversations and um i think really important things coming out of those um.
0: yeah yeah i mean, like coming like i mean the uni that we're at and just generally university spaces in the u k in general And. Um, there are oh, there's no denying they're predominantly white and actually so, so i come from i come from northwest london um like the, the borough that I come from is the most multicultural borough in, in London. And so I have uh, I had the experience of going to a high school where I was the only white person in my class, um, which actually growing up in, in that environment um, like opened my eyes. And actually, when I came to Durham, when I came to university, I was like. with was such a big change. And I was like, oh, wow. Like there, there's so much that needs to be done, you know. I hope, hopefully, most people having had their eyes opened, you know, to the injustices that that, that are not as over, you know, that over this summer. The 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 ones kind of under the the tip of the iceberg, um, that that they realise that no, you know, like like you said, Judith, like America, that's another conversation. This happens in this country in our institutions and needs to be sorted out and you know it's and it's not on it shouldn't be on you know black people asian people it shouldn't be on them to call it out like it should be on us you know as a student community and those little petty jokes it's 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 not um it's not the responsibility of the people who are the butts of those jokes to call it out. It's the re- responsibility on the people who are witnessing them, which are mainly white in our university spaces. You know, it's about, it's that you know, it's about having this conversation and, um, and, and being like, no, it, you know, it's, you, there's so much more that needs to be sorted out because it's so fundamentally wrong.
2: Uh, uh- I've got um, I've got a whole chapter in my book on education um, and race because um, I went to Cambridge Uni and in, in my year there were more people with the surname white than there were black people <laughs> so there were 10 of us and um, 11 of us in a year um, and and actually I'd grown up in I'd gone to school where I was often the only like one or two to non-white people so i was kind of used to it but it was when i went to university that i was like oh right i'm black <laughs> because because i think there's a generational aspect um there's academia as a whole which is quite sheltered and the comments that um some of my lecturers would say to me or people at kind of formal hall and um, things like oh i bet you're not your kind of I bet you're not used to this kind of food at home. And I was like, it's literally chicken and potatoes. I've had these things before. Um, uh, and I had a cousin, one of my cousins went to Cambridge as well in the same year as me. And he was a rugby player, six foot something. And the amount of times he would just get stopped at places when trying to get into university um, uh, grounds. Um, people wouldn't believe that he was, um, <laughs> went to Cambridge uni. And, um, and I think there's also the, there's a gendered aspect as well to things. So I think black men have a whole different um, set of challenges that they face, and black women's challenges are different. Um, but yeah, we're all we're all facing challenges
1: um just to finish, I think we've talked a lot about um what white people should be doing, and um I guess, and we've talked a lot about you've talked lot about how you've um grown up existing in very much white majority spaces and um as Joseph was saying, we know Durham is very much a white majority space. Um, and um, we're really praying that we will have some of our um, black friends and black students listening to this. I don't know if you just want to share any um advice, ecu- encouragement, prayers for those who are um, black people existing in these white majority spaces who are um continuing to struggle um with this injustice. Um yeah, I just don't know if you have any advice from your experiences that you'd like to share.
2: So, one of my pieces of, of advice is to read, 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 read devour books, um, educate yourself um, not just in black history, but um, black theology um, and um, make sure that you are intentional, are intentional in finding um a more expansive understanding of who god is because god is not a white man um god is not small god is bigger than we think um so don't um be satisfied in churches and in spaces that reduce god to something that he is not um so so there's that um i think just reflecting on kind of my university days i studied theology and i wish i knew now what i i wish i knew then what i know now about theology <laughs> um, and i wish that i challenged the reading list i wish that when we when i was learning about emmanuel kant um and some of the kind of um western theologians from the enlightenment period and the 19th century that i also read the other things that they said about black people <laughs> um, I wish that I knew that and I wish that I asked questions more. So that would be my um, encouragement. Um, People have often asked me whether black people should remain in spaces where they feel um, threatened, um, where they feel um, less than who they are. Controversially, I would say no. I think that there are lots of great churches um, where um, there is a small expansive view of who god is where um church leaders are trying their best to um invite other people in, into the table um where um we're thinking much better about cultural conversations about race and um, so find those places i don't think anyone needs to suffer um because, yeah, God doesn't just exist in one church. So um, educate yourself, um, ask questions and find spaces where you are seen for all that God sees you as.
1: What Tanae shared with us is so, so important. We have both personally been really challenged and inspired by what we've discussed. This is a conversation that needs to continue and we hope this episode has helped with that. If you'd like more information or to get in contact with the CE. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram or on the Durham CU website.
0: Join us next week for the last episode of this season, where we'll be talking to author and founder of charity Home for Good, Krish Kandaya, about the relationship between God and our own free will, what that means for injustice, and how our own freedoms have been affected by the coronavirus pandemic.